Welcome to a Millennial's Guide to Real Estate Investing. Here is your host, Antoine Martel. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to Real Estate Investing. Today I have my buddy Kyle Mitchell who lives in Los Angeles as well. Kyle Mitchell is a real estate entrepreneur who just closed on his first multifamily syndication in May of 2019. He's a managing partner and co-founder of Limitless Estates whose vision is to provide A-class living to lower income housing by putting residents first and instilling a sense of community while inspiring others to do the same. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Kyle actually had me on his podcast which started in March I believe March Correct. 1st was their first episode. They did 30 days straight. Now they're doing a weekly episode. I'd encourage you guys to go check out his podcast as well. But thanks again for putting me on my show and thanks for coming on. on uh, thanks for having me on your show. Now thanks for coming on my show today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So let's start at the very beginning um, and talk about... So you really started with a single family home kind of space and you were buying turnkey rental properties, which then led in led you into leaving your job, which then led you to go into the multifamily side of things. So I want to kind of just start from the very beginning and how you got interested in real estate, first of all. Yeah, sure. So back in probably 2012, 2013, I was working a full-time job and uh, had some extra money. I had invested in the stock market prior to that and basically lost everything that I put into it. So I did not have a good taste in my mouth with the stock market and uh, knew that I needed another uh, asset class or vehicle to start investing in. So I just uh, randomly came across some podcasts and some books that I started reading. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, one of them you know, that everyone I'm sure knows. And uh, I bought my first single family home out here in Long Beach, Southern California and uh, held on to that for just a year. Actually had a pretty bad experience with that one. Uh, put in a tenant who knew what he was doing. Uh, they call him a professional tenant. Yeah. And so he knew the landlord and um, tenant laws in California a lot better than I did. Mm -hmm. So when I put him in, he was paying the rent. I was cash flowing great for the first three or four months and quickly he stopped paying rent. And uh, back at that time, I was just trying to do everything by myself. So I was trying to evict him by himself. I was self-managing. So uh, one thing I didn't know was that, let's just say the tenant owes you three grand in rent and you go to him and you ask for the rent and he says, here's 50 bucks, uh, take it and I'll pay you the rest later. As soon as you take that $50, you actually have to start the eviction process all the way over again, oh, back to day one. So I was probably two, three months into the process, thought everything was going great, got a letter from the courts that said you've accepted rent you have to start the process over again. So at that point, I was pretty frustrated, um, losing some money, and so I hired an attorney, and it, it basically, the whole process took about eight months to get him out oh of the my house. God. So at that point, uh, I sold the house. I'm also a real estate agent, so I ended up uh, actually making about five grand on the deal. So uh, all in all, it was a good experience, good learning experience, but definitely not something I wanted to go through again. So. Yeah. Uh, from there, I said, I'm going to buy in the most landlord-friendly state in, in the nation, which ended up being Arkansas. So at that point in time, you know, I had a full-time job, and I was working 70, 80 hours a week, so I didn't have time to do it actively on my own. So I started buying some turnkeys. So bought a couple turnkeys there and uh, started building up my portfolio, got up to nine single-family homes uh, in three different markets. How long did that take you? To buy nine. Uh, I did, let's see, five the first year, four the second. Wow. And that uh, was just money you had saved up over all the years of working and stuff like that? 
Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and the money I made off of the single family home in California. So I took that down payment because on that one, we actually put 20% down. Um, and obviously, as people know, 20% down in California is, <laughs> is a lot more than 20% down on a house in Arkansas. Yeah. So after I got those nine homes, I figured out that, hey, it's going to be tough to scale. I'm going to need about 100 of these to replace my income, if not more. Yeah. And so what else can I get into? And uh, that's where I found multifamily. Um, and so now I'm in the multifamily space doing multifamily syndication. Um, you know, I took the first probably 10 months to educate myself, start building our investors list, networking, and, uh, just expanding our network. Um, then we got to a point where, uh, you know, we're actively making offers and felt comfortable. So I ended up taking a leap of faith, leaving my full-time job about eight, nine months ago now. And, uh, just closed on our first 42 unit property in Tucson, Arizona about three weeks ago. Love it. Awesome. And so more about the turnkey side of things. So how was that experience? Was it one turnkey provider for every market or did you go and find, how did you go and find those turnkey providers that you were working with back then? Yeah. So basically I came across a couple of podcasts and then had some consulting calls with different turnkey providers. But basically these, the turnkey provider that I selected was a one-stop shop. They had you know 10 different markets that they suggested and they introduced you to the um, the house flipper or the, uh, what do they call them? The, uh, market specialist in that market. And they would then, you know, manage the property and as well as sell you the home. Got it. So I still have those homes now. I'm trying to actually sell them right now. Uh, you know, the first couple of years of the, of my experience was actually pretty good, right? Because you have warranties on it. The first 12 months of repairs are and vacancies are included. And so, Everything was going fine, and then about two years in, kind of everything hit the fan. Wow. Uh, and so I've not had a great experience with my single-family homes and turnkeys. And so I would suggest, you know, to your listeners, at, at least vet the people who you're doing uh, business with. That's yeah. my biggest mistake. I was I was busy, and it's a, it's an excuse, right? I was busy, and I didn't time to go look at the property. So bottom side unseen, and I trusted the turnkey provider to. Um, to basically hook me up with the right people. Yeah. And, uh, and to be honest, five of my nine are okay. It's really the ones that I bought in the Chicago market uh, that are not doing very well. And uh, it was a bad property management company, number one. Mm. And then number two, the taxes out there have killed me. So the, the ones in Arkansas, still cash flowing, doing great. Uh, I have uh, three more in Ohio. Those are also have been okay. Great, awesome. All right, cool. And But then also Chicago was a, it's a non-landlord friendly state, wasn't it? Correct. So that's another mistake that I made. <laughs> uh, you know, I was bu- I bought in Arkansas and those were doing fantastic, but they weren't cash flowing as much as I, I wanted. You know, yeah. they were cash flowing after everything, a couple hundred bucks. So it was fine. But then I found Chicago and those were cash flowing six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month oh, uh, on a $100,000 home. Whoa. So, you know, I kind of got that squirrel syndrome where I was like, oh, cash flow. And yeah, yeah. I to kind of do my research at that point and check into the market. And uh, yeah, it's not landlord friendly at all. So it does cost quite a bit of money and take some time to evict. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is the taxes out there are are just terrible. So my six, $700 in cash flow has cut in half, if not more, over the last couple of years because the taxes have gone up. Yeah. And so now when I'm trying to sell them, they're just not worth as much as they once were because of those taxes. Oh, you wow. know, the net operating income has yeah. has just gone yeah, to zero. The cash flow, yeah, cash flow is killing all the. Well, the taxes are killing all the cash flow. Oh, Correct. Wow. 
And then, so what years were you buying those then? 2016, 2017? 15, 15, 16, and 17. 15, yeah, 16, I, 17. Okay, yep. cool. And then in 2018, you started learning about the whole multifamily, and you're like, oh, this is my way out of the rat race. Is that kind of what happened? Yeah, so end of 2017, so like in December, we uh, found a couple online courses that we started taking, yeah. and I really liked it. So I still like single family homes. And I think if you did it yourself and purchased them and, and bought them and rehab them and, and like that, or you hook yourself up with the right turnkey provider, yeah, you're going to be great. It, it really depends on your goals. And at that time in my life, I really wanted to get into something new. I wanted to transition out of my career and, and find something that I loved. And I really fell in love with real estate. And I'm a business minded person. I'm a numbers person. And with multifamily, you know, the the properties are valued based on a business metric. So the stronger your net operating income, uh, the building sells based off a of multiple. So the, the more it's going to sell for. So yeah. the more efficient you run your business, the, the better your business is going to be. So, Got it. Okay, cool. And then, so did you, so then in, what courses did you sign up for and how did you learn about the whole multi? So that's like a big undertaking, right? So single family homes are, are very easy. There's, you know, you pass all the operating expenses off to the tenants, you know, you just have to pay taxes, insurance, property management, but then how did you, what courses did you take or which courses did you sign up for, which gave you the most value so you can felt like you because the next step for you is taking the plunge and quitting the job so you must have felt super comfortable and confident with well at least to a certain extent of what you could do or what you wanted to do so how did you go about learning about the whole multifamily space and and how it can be your way out of the rat race yeah, absolutely. So there's a bunch of different classes online and a bunch of different courses out there and even more so now than there was back in 2017. Yeah. So I just started Googling uh, multifamily coaches and mentors and I interviewed about five of them. You know, I got on a phone call. They all do free types of consultations and I just talked to them about what my goals were and I ended up going with the Michael Blanc online course. And the reason I did that is just I connected with them and, and my goals aligned with what they were doing. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of something that I always tell people is, is every mentor and coach out there, they're great. They're going to teach you the, the right things and, and get you on the right way. It's really about which ones align with your goals. Um, you know, some teach passive investors, some teach active, some teach kind of both. Yeah. So, you know, it's really about what your goals are. So the first thing you want to do is understand what your goals are. Uh, so we did his online course and then we did his coaching uh, as well, his live coaching one-on-one. -on -one. So we did that for quite a while um, and then started just going to, to networking events and seminars where we could network and meet people who were actually doing what we wanted to do. And uh, we were lucky enough to, to get paired up with a couple of people who are doing what we wanted to do. And uh, from there, we started a meetup group with another person who had already started one. And it, we kind of just took off from there. Our network just started expanding pretty rapidly. Uh, and I got to a point where I was really comfortable and, and to the point where I knew we were going to start to take down some properties. And at that point, I just need to make a decision because I'm a I'm the type of person that goes all in or all out, right? Yeah, yeah. And so when I go all in, um, I, I had to leave my job, and I had the support of my great fiance who said, "Okay, let's do it." Because if she said no, I don't know if I'd be sitting here right now. Yeah. But um, she said, "Let's do it," and uh, we have her support, and uh, we're doing it. Got it. And did you give yourself a time frame where you're like, "All right, Kyle, I have 12 months to get my thing together. If not, I need to go back," or were you just kind of looking at the money in the bank account until this runs out and I need to get another job. 
Yeah, I mean, look. So I've been hoping to leave my full time job for about two years now, and <laughs> yeah. I and I ha and I wasn't comfortable enough to do it. You definitely want to take the time to look at how much savings you need and, and things like that. With my fiance and I, we have another income with her income, so we know that we could definitely live Survive. what we're making cur yeah. currently. It's going to be tough, but you just have to budget yourself, you know. Yeah. And. Um, I think if you focus too much on how much time you have, if you fail, you're focusing on how you're going to fail instead of how you're going to succeed. Yeah. So really, we just put a business plan together and we're just going after it. And, um, you know, we've closed on one property so far. That's not what we need to be where we want to be at. So it's still a work in progress for yeah. sure. But uh, we're definitely on the right path. Um, but we're just focused on what we need to do to get to the next level. Got it. OK, cool. So you started the meetup. And then, so when did you start the meetup? Was it twenty eight, early 2018 or middle of 2018 then? Yeah, it would have been in April of 2018. So we're just about 16, 17 months in right now. Okay, cool. And then when did you quit your job? That was back in November 1st of uh, 2018. So it was oh, about wow. six months after we started the, uh, the meetup. Got it. And then six months after that is when you got your first deal or? Yep. So. Yeah, I mean, about about two months after I quit my job, we found this property, and uh, we had been basically working on it for four months until we actually got it under contract, wow. three months, and then closed about 60 days later. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's so, quite the process. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that deal then. So this was a syndication as well, right? So you kind of used all the people that you had been building that network really for you know a year, very hardcore with the meetup and all the other networking and conferences you guys were going to. Um, so are those the people that then helped, you know, invested with you in that project and then tell us a little bit more about that deal, where it is, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our investors are, are from the meetup or people that we knew previously from the golf business that my fiance and I were in. Uh, so it's just, you know, it's all about making relationships yeah. and, and, and following up with people and having those relationships and those conversations. So I would say it was a, a combination of our family and friends um, and also the people that we met along the way over the last year yeah, at yeah. our. Yep. So as far as the 42 unit, you know, it's in Tucson, Arizona, which is one of our markets. We focus in Phoenix and Tucson. And um, the way we found it was we were driving out there. So Lolita and I, who's my fiance, we would drive out to the markets every other week or at least once a month. And Tucson is about seven and a half hours. So we would get up at 2 a.m., leave at 2.30, be to the market around 9 a.m. And uh, what I would do is, you know, the week before, I would email or call all the brokers that I knew in that area and said, hey, we're coming down. Do you have anything that we can kind of tour or can we buy you lunch or coffee? And, uh, you know, we would at least set up three or four appointments and uh, see some see some properties and then drive home and get home at about 2 a.m. the next day. So... What happened that day was we were in town and one of the brokers called me and he said, hey, Kyle, we just got the keys to this property. You know, I haven't even seen the units. Would you like to tour it with me because you're in town? And so it just luck that we were in town the same wow. day that he got it. We were the first ones to tour the property and we've had about a three or four week head start until they took that thing to market. So as soon as they took it to market, we had basically put in an offer uh, we knew what the seller wanted. We negotiated back and forth a little bit, but we had gotten it under contract basically before anyone else had the chance to to even make an offer. Got it. Wow. Awesome. So right timing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because right yeah, for me too, like the 20 unit that I got, it was just like a stroke of luck that I emailed the guy 
on the morning that he got the deal that hit my exact criteria. And I kind of reminded him who I was and what I was looking for. And he was like, well, this is a easy sale. I'll just forward this email to this guy who just emailed me. And there you go. We were the first person to take a crack at it. First one to make an offer, right? So it's all about like the follow-up and like putting a pattern in place to where people know you, but then continuous, you know, they, they know that you're not, you don't just go and have one coffee and then, okay, great. We're good. It's like, no, it needs to be something repetitive over and over and over again. Cause they get blown up all the time. The brokers from a bunch of different people. So you need to, you need to really stand out and stay in front of those brokers as much as you can. And by showing, you know, going there once a month or every other week, I mean, they you're in front of their face every other week or every month, you know, continuously telling them what you're looking for, who you are, et cetera. Yep. And on top of that, you know, every week we call brokers. So we call our list of brokers and we know the ones that get back to us now and we know the top ones in the market. So we always try and stay front of mind. So even though we're out in the market every other week, I'm talking to them every single week. And so I'm always front of mind. And so if they have something, I hopefully they send it my way. Got it. All right, cool. Um, and then you, you learned how to analyze that deal and knew that it was a good deal from that course that you took the Michael Blanc course. Yeah, I would say that that's how we first started learning how to underwrite deals. And we got a lot of value from that for sure. But I think the other way is just by consistently underwriting deals. The more deals I earn, the better I get at it. And the more I understand it and the more sophisticated I am. So, you know, I don't know how many I've underwritten now, but it's several hundred deals that we've underwritten. And like I said, the more you do it, the better you're going to get. Got it. All right, cool. And then, so tell us a little bit more. So 42 units, um, what were the current rent? You know, what was the kind of value at what, what value add did you see in the property that made you want to want to purchase it or acquire it? Yeah. Uh, a couple things. First of all, we bought it for less than the owner or the seller bought it for 12 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, and so that, that was a, a positive for sure, but it was an out of state owner that wasn't putting money back into the property until, uh, that person decided to sell Well, they started turning some of the units, but, uh, basically it needs love, you know, it needs a paint job, needs some rebranding. It had zero marketing behind it. So the only way to find the property was to walk by it and, uh, get the phone number off the sign, which was incorrect until about, Oh my God. So there was just basically no way to, to, uh, you know, the market rents, there's people that have been living in there since 2003 with no rent increases. So, you know, market rents on uh, the one bedrooms are six twenty-five. Some people are paying three fifty, um, and uh, market wow. rents on the uh, studios are about five twenty-five. So, so you know, they're anywhere between one hundred and three hundred dollars below market. Wow! And then, how many studios were there? How many one bedrooms were there? It's a fifty-fifty split. So right. on the on the forty-two unit. Yep. Got it. And did did the studio scare you at all? Not in that market. So I think it depends on what market. We definitely like a unit mix of, you know, two bedrooms and ones, but with it being by the school, okay. uh, University of Arizona, studios are uh, popular in that area. So no, it's not something uh, for that particular property in that particular neighborhood that we're worried about. Got it. Okay, cool. And then how did you, let's talk a little bit about financing then. So um, how did you guys finance it? Was it through Freddie Mac that you got financing? I know there was a little bit of a, Oh yeah, this is a a great little story and uh, just a learning experience for us. And, you know, it, it starts with just, you know, making sure that you're 
upfront transparent and you communicate as much as possible and i'm a very transparent person but i could have probably done better um I, and then on the other side the broker could have the mortgage broker could have helped us out a little bit more but so originally we were going with freddie mac and we were working with a mortgage broker and everything was going fine and uh you know with syndication you're raising money and so my original business plan was basically to try and raise it by ourselves yeah. our just our firm and three or four weeks we were having some issues we we're going to add on some gps and uh i sent an email to the mortgage broker telling him that but i never officially got on the phone with him and explained to him the entire business plan so there was some type of miscommunication there and when i went to add a gp because we were a little bit short on the money raise um they said it's too late to add a gp you can't do that uh we've already submitted our application to freddie mac and it's too far along in the process to add someone. And so when, when you add someone, you know, you've got to go through this whole background yeah. check and, and bank statements and all this kind of stuff. So it does take a couple of weeks to get through that process. So, um, so I'm in a, between a rock and a hard place, it was either decide to go it alone and try and get to the money, uh, get, try and get to the total raise, which was possible, but it was going to be very difficult. Yeah. And I didn't want to put our investors in that situation, number one, where we weren't able to raise all the capital. And then we didn't want to put ourselves in a situation where we couldn't be able to close. Yeah. So uh, we started taking a look at a Fannie Mae loan. And for a Fannie Mae loan, you need to have at least a couple years of experience or sign on a loan before. So we had to look for some partners that uh, would have been interested in on, on coming on board. So uh, thankfully, I was able to find a partner uh, that would sign a loan for us. And uh, it ended up working out for everyone, uh, except for obviously I had to bail on the Freddie Mac loan. But we were at a 5.01 interest rate with the Freddie Mac loan. The Over the last two months, the interest rates have gone down dramatically. Yeah. And so we were able to get an affordability waiver and a price discount. So the interest rate went from 5.01 to 4.2%. Wow. So it was, a, it was a huge deal. We ended up getting a 12-year Fannie Mae uh, fixed loan at 4.2%, three years interest only. So now, that you know, not only are uh, the returns greater for, for the deal, it's a safer deal. Uh, we got uh, same proceeds. So it ended up working out in the long run, but we had to close out with Fannie in about 30 days. So it was a really stressful situation to be in. I wouldn't want to be in it again where I switched over from lenders. Uh, but, you know, again, going through that for the first time, I learned a lot. And really, it's about transparency and, and making sure that the lender business plan is from day one. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's probably something I could have done better the first time. Wow, that's crazy. And so how did you, does Fannie Mae have a loan minimum? Because I know Freddie Mac has a loan minimum of a million bucks. Does Fannie Mae have one too? Yeah, so they both have small balance programs, and you can actually dip down underneath a million dollars. I think it goes down to seven hundred fifty, but you need to get waivers and exclusions. Mm. And so that's a lot of the things that people don't understand is when, when someone says, "Oh, you're, you got to have net worth of uh, equal or, or greater than the loan amount, or you need to have liquidity of ten percent or nine months of uh, your payments, and uh, it's got to be greater than a, a million. Those, and so you need to actually submit to Fannie or Freddie for waivers or exclusions or exceptions to get those approved. And so going in, I didn't know that either, working with Freddie. So at first, you know, we were we were here and then we had to get a waiver and it got declined because of X. And so our rate went up. And so 
there's there's a lot of things you need to be careful of when you're getting a quote from a lender to make sure that the lender is being conservative, yeah. that he understands who's on your team and whether that team is going to be able to get those waivers or uh, exemptions. Because if they're not, you're actually going to get retraded and you know your proceeds are going to get cut and your your interest rate could be higher so it's really important to understand that kind of stuff got it okay cool and then let's talk about the syndication side of things so what kind of syndication did you go with how was that whole process work uh in terms of like the filing and stuff like that how much does that kind of thing cost because i know it was your first time going through it so i bet there was some learning lessons there too but like yeah yeah so uh, we did a 506B, which uh, is basically an exemption with Reg D, and it is uh, under the securities law. So basically, if I, you have two different options uh, within Reg D, is 506B and 506C. 506B is where you have to have a pre-existing relationship with all your investors, and uh, you can only take up to 35 unaccredited investors. With the 506C, it is, you can advertise to anyone you want, you can take on anyone you want, as long as they're accredited. Yeah. So those are the two different ones. We went with a 506B, and uh, yeah, we, we hired a lawyer who we had an, a, a relationship with prior just from interviewing a bunch of different lawyers and uh, built up a relationship with them. They actually spoke at a couple of our meetup events, so yeah. we trusted them and felt comfortable with them. And uh, so, uh, it, his name's Gene Trowbridge, actually. So. Um, we went with him, and uh, the cost was, you know, in the ten thousand dollar range to get all the documents set up and and filed with the ABC and 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 done. And um, yeah, that's how we did it. Okay, cool, awesome. And you can only take so it's unaccredited investors are allowed, but you have to have that pre-existing relationship with those people, correct? Yeah, and actually on a 506B, even if you take an accredited investor, you actually have to have a pre-existing relationship. So oh, anyone under, yeah, anyone under that 506B. Has to be a pre-existing relationship, so we need to, you know, know them financially and personally before yeah. we take money. Yep. Yeah, and so that was pretty convenient. Then you had a meetup for the last, the whole year before that, right? Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons why we did that. You know, okay. I mean, we knew that we had to build our investor list in order to and do it because yeah. we don't know enough investors in order to to raise enough money for what we want to do at this point. Uh, eventually, do we want to get into five or six E's? Probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's another reason why we started the podcast. We have two meetups now, and that's why we go to seminars and networking events, and, and I do free calls and, and just try and help people as much as possible and, and just build our network up. Got it. Okay, cool. And then what is, what's the plan now? So you have this, this building that you're going to start and start increasing the rents and stuff like that, but what's the, what's the long-term vision, long-term goal, just doing bigger projects, larger syndications, or is there something else that you'd like to be doing? Yeah, I think uh, you know, five, ten years from now, I'd love to have a fund going where we can raise the money up front and then purchase purchase buildings um, and and have a fund and and have multiple properties in that fund where you can have some high risk uh, properties mixed with some very low risk properties and and do some stuff like that. But right now, I would say we're focused on just scaling, yeah. getting a couple more properties this year and building out a team. I would love next year to be able to hire an acquisitions manager and an asset manager as part of our team and and you know hopefully by the end of next year have five to seven properties under our belt that are uh, performing well and uh, just continue to build. Love it. And then for these properties that you're doing, when you're doing the syndications, is your goal to buy the property, increase the value and refinance it and hold it and pay back the investors and you know, you just hold it personally or is this something that you just see, you know, increasing value and selling in five, seven years and taking the money out or does it depend on the market? 
Depends on the market. You know, typically when we lay out our business plans, it's uh, a five to seven year hold and uh, sell at that point or refinance. The, in, the, in the perfect world, we would refinance out, uh, get the investors back their money. And actually, our business plan is that the investors still get to keep equity in the property at that point. So we wouldn't own it outright. But it would be great to share in the cash flows long term. Uh, you know, real estate's about buying and holding, not selling. Yeah. So. That would be the perfect scenario, but depending on where the market is, we may exit in years five through seven. Yeah. Um, if we're not able to refi out or or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what the issue is too. I think we talked about this a little bit. Was like the issue with being a syndicator and doing this kind of thing is like every five seven years you have to find something else to, you know, if you do have to sell and your investors want to sell and you want to pay them back, you know, you're not gonna have everybody who wants to hold it long term with you guys. People are gonna want their money out, right? So it's like a kind of a a constant thing where. Um, you know, you, you want to syndicate X amount of deals per year, but you also should be buying some stuff also personally, you know, which is like what we've been doing with, with our side of things. It's like, yeah, all right, you know? Yeah, no, actually one of my other goals is to also buy a property by myself. So I would love to buy a hundred unit apartment building on our own. Yeah. Uh, obviously the tax advantages of that along with the cash flow of it. So we can cash flow on it. Yeah. With syndication, it's definitely, you've got to build that pipeline and you've got to continuously close. But I think as you build up those relationship with those brokers, it gets easier. Easy um, and then, you know, if you close on two or three properties or even one or two a year, every five years, you can, you can plan on some type of exit would be got the it. goal. Got it. Yep. And are you going to stay in the Tucson, Phoenix market for now, or are you looking at other places? We would do business in other places if we had some boots on the ground and yeah. so a partner that is experienced in that market and has property in that market, but we would likely not be the lead on those. Yeah. Uh, we So yeah, we are going to focus mainly on Phoenix and Tucson. We're starting to get stronger and stronger relationships out there. We're out in the market every other week. So Good. if you add five or six markets, it's tough to get to all of them, yeah. you know, on a, uh, a twice a month basis. So we, we like Phoenix and Arizona as a whole. Uh, it's a great, strong market. Uh, just came out a couple weeks ago. Phoenix was the number one rent growth market for all secondary markets. Wow. And, and also Tucson was number one for, for smaller markets. Wow. So Arizona is a great market to be in right now. And uh, we're going on with it. Love it. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? How can they reach out, learn more about your project or future projects if they want to get involved? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can reach me on my cell phone, 562-833-5010. Uh, my email is kmitchell at limitless-estates.com. And we've got a podcast, like you mentioned, it's passive income through multifamily real estate. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It was a great show. It talked a lot about different topics too that haven't been talked about before. So thanks again for coming on. Um, and yeah. Great. Thanks for having me, Antoine.